This is the Aspire Podcast. The Aspire Podcast is all about sharing the stories of those who have aspired into full-time Christian ministry. As we share their stories, we hope to encourage, excite, and equip you to consider what it would mean to aspire towards ministry. Today's episode is a little bit different to other episodes. In, that, in other episodes so far, we've heard from people who are already in Christian ministry. But in today's episode, we're actually going to hear from someone who is not quite in ministry yet, but is actually early on in that process of aspiring towards ministry. So in many ways, is much like many of you. Each season, Paddy and I are keen to have someone who is on that process of aspiring towards ministry, so that we can explore some really present and current challenges that young people people thinking about going to ministry are actually facing. With that said, here's our conversation with Shem Jevaratnam. Shem is currently working in corporate law and studying part-time at SMBC. She is a great friend of mine, an incredible violin player, and I reckon she's going to be a really passionate, gifted minister of the gospel in the future. And so it's with great delight that we welcome Shem to the podcast. Welcome, Shem. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting to the both of you. So, so keen to talk to you. Well, as I said, usually we have guests who are already already in ministry, but we thought it'd be really cool to have someone different like yourself who is sort of on the road there, but not quite there yet, because a lot of our listeners will be exactly like you, people who are on the road there trying to overcome different obstacles. But I wondered, could we go back to when did you first aspire to go into ministry? I mentioned that you're doing law, but when did you actually think, okay, ministry is something that I want to get involved in? Yeah, I think there were many moments that really led up to it, but it started in earnest um, with other people identifying and I guess naming the gifts that they saw in me. So when I was 18 years old, fresh out of high school, I was put in a small group with two leaders, both of whom are now in full-time ministry. One studied at SNBC, the other at Moore, and they're two of my closest, still to this day, my closest friends and mentors. Um, And it was there in that small group when I was 18 years old that I guess those two leaders identified um, certain gifts early on and really started investing time in me. They would consistently catch up with me and read the Bible. Um, They taught me how to lead a small group, how to mentor people. They'd invite me along to conferences with them and send me sermon notes. I was essentially like the little sister trailing along with all these older people and they kind of just took me under their wing, which is, thinking back on it now, they actually spent a great deal of time um, walking alongside me and, and seeing that my character developed in those early Mm. days, which is such a blessing. Um, Mm. And I think, I don't know, I I kind of look back then to when I was 18 and I kind of think, what exactly, what exactly were they seeing? Um, You know, obviously I think there were some skills that they had already seen, some natural ability. Um, But I think just from chatting with them, the other thing, that they could see um, was that I was I was teachable. It wasn't like I wasn't sitting there mindlessly consuming and agreeing with everything 
they were saying. I definitely questioned things and pushed back. I'd get my Bible out and they were really gracious. And, um, you know, I remember myself and my, my friend Beata at the time just like firing questions at them after, after Bible study. Um, but I think there was something that they could see that I now see as quite characteristic, I think to me and that was just the earnestness of my heart um and just wanting I, I wanted the Holy Spirit to do a work in me and to continue doing that um and I think I think that was something they could see at that time that's really cool and so when you're around 18 your leader sort of identified that you had some gifts that potentially could be good for full-time ministry you're now in law did you think did you go off that ministry sort of route and go into law or was law always a part of the plan? How did law come into the picture? Law's always been a part of the plan. Um, I love I love the law. That sounds so nerdy to say. Um, but I, I like the logic of it. I like the analysis that is involved in it. And I like um, I like that it reflects or hopefully it reflects what people care about and what society cares about. Um, And so I never saw doing law as separate um, to pursuing ministry goals. Mm. Um, If anything, I think it was um, such a preparation um, and an Mm. important part of developing um, my character and my God-given gifts. That's really interesting. And so when when you signed up for law, did you know that this is going to be preparation for ministry? Because obviously it, it definitely is, and I totally agree with you. It's great preparation, the amount of work you need to put into law and how you're helping people, you're speaking with others and lots of different skills. But did you did you know it was always going to be preparation or did you just go on that route of law thinking that um, maybe ministry was something that you do down the track, but you were more intentionally focused on the law just for the sake of law? Yeah, I think um, I think I always thought it would be a good preparation season. I didn't know how, and I certainly didn't expect um, to be in the area of law that I ended up in. Uh, like the the subjects I excelled in at university and and stuff like that aren't necessarily um, where I have ended up. But God has um, it's it's been ridiculous. Like God has just opened up all these doors and avenues for preparing me um, in in what I'm doing at the moment. So. I think I, I I always knew that God would would use this. I think it, it felt really clear to me um, choosing to do law, but I didn't know how, um, and I definitely didn't expect to be in the area that I'm in now. Uh, Shem, what are perhaps some of the difficulties or challenges that you've found being uh, someone working in the field that you're working in as a lawyer? And at the same time, trying to undertake certain aspects of Christian ministry, either perhaps building evangelistic relationships with work colleagues or just juggling 
in what must be a fairly full week, the demands of working plus trying to do voluntary ministry through church or other things. Any other particular challenges or something you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think I think it's always the time element. Um, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day and um, actually setting aside time for small group each week, making sure I'm there and making sure I'm at youth group um, and doing the variety of ministries that I'm a part of um, is probably is probably the tricky part, just balancing that. Uh, I've been really lucky in that I have an incredible team um, at work and um, we, we love to talk about religion. Like it's, it's definitely front and centre of um, how we communicate and, and they love listening and they love even helping me prepare seminars. I remember um, before summer camp earlier this year, that seems like a long time ago, um, but earlier this year, my boss actually helping me write part of my seminar for summer camp. So um, I definitely had support, uh, even though um, they aren't Christians. Roughly, um, how long has it been, just without giving us an exact number of years, how long has it been since you've sort of been aspiring towards ministry? And just as you're going through that process, what are perhaps some of the sort of current challenges or obstacles that you're facing as you sort of make that trajectory towards ministry? Mm. I think it's been a thought in my head in a formalised sense since uh, I was 18 and since um, I had those interactions in the small group that I, I mentioned before. Um, sorry, Patty, what was your second question? I, I missed that. Yeah, no, that's okay. The second question was, what are some of the challenges or obstacles that you're currently facing in that trajectory towards ministry? Yeah, I think um, something that I'm being challenged by and maybe an obstacle that I'm facing is that I think I find it quite hard to bear when I see the people who I'm leading or who you love um, fall away from following Jesus it's hard to be in a ministry position or aspiring towards ministry and um, to see that. You know, um, last year, for example, one of my friends from uni out of the blue passed away in a freak accident and she was someone I'd met at uni who I'd witnessed to and it was just like one second she was there and the next she was gone um, and it kind of made me realise the fragility um, of life um, and even at the beginning of this term I had um, you know two parents come to me almost in tears because of things that are going on with their daughters and you just kind of have to be strong and calm and listen and pray with them but once they've gone home it kind of just makes you want to cry too uh, so I think that's definitely an obstacle I'm struggling with and just kind of knowing that that comes with the territory in ministry um, I liked the way my senior minister once put it. He said that just like doctors are physicians for the body, church leaders are like physicians for the soul. And that certainly comes with its own set of challenges in terms of seeing um, people struggle or, or leave the faith. So I think that's, that's definitely something that I'm grappling with at the moment and how to deal with that um, in terms of 
in terms of that further aspiration. Great. How do people respond if in conversation you tell them you're a lawyer and by the sound of things you're in a fairly, um, what's, what's the word, sort of impressive area of law, right? And you don't need to go into the details over that now. But I guess I'm more interested in how do people respond when you also say you're studying at a Bible college part-time and you'd really love to, I guess, do more of that. What, what's the response of people? Are they, are they a bit shocked? Are they a bit incredulous? Are they, and how do you how do you react to that? Yeah, it's pretty incredulous. Um, it <laughs> seems it seems like foolishness. Um, I think, but I think that's mostly the people who don't know me um, or don't know me well. Because I think the people who know me well, even though they might not follow Jesus, um, they see the amount of joy um, that ministry, um, I guess, provides in my life and see how important I think it is. So it's, it's almost like not really a surprise in some respects. Did you have any particular... Um objections from those who knew you quite well like either sort of immediate family or siblings or people who may have had particular aspirations for you and it seems like you'll really have almost fulfilled their aspirations in being a lawyer but now there's this well no actually I'm thinking about maybe moving towards ministry was that a, a, an easy thing to navigate or a difficult thing to navigate because I know that for some of the mm. people listening one of the challenges for them is um, obviously, perhaps talking to mum and dad and or siblings just about the desire to head towards ministry and some of them, the reactions are very varied. So I don't know if you'd like to share something about that with us. Yeah, totally. Um, I think I've been very lucky in that, um, firstly, it was it was totally my decision Um to go into law and you know I, I come from a family of, of doctors actually and they were actually like why are you going into law um so I, I definitely law kind of came from me and I haven't really felt a pressure I guess I've been lucky in that respect I know that's not necessarily the case um for everyone um and I've been really lucky in that I have a family that's um, Christian and that um, are really prayerful and um, care about ministry. Um, and so, yeah, having the conversation with my parents and with my family um, was super nerve-wracking, mm. um, but it was really funny because they their reaction was literally like um oh we're not surprised <laughs> um we, we saw this coming for for years and I, I think you know talking to my uncles and aunts and and various um adult figures in my life um who've watched me grow up they and just in conversations with them they've just um expressed that it wasn't really a surprise to them um they've seen me kind of during my teenage years and how I interacted with people at school and um at uni and 
yeah, it was, it just came quite naturally. So I think I built up the nerves a lot more. Um, I know that's not the case for everyone. Um, and I know I'm, I'm very lucky in that respect. Yeah, great. Thanks. Shem, being a lawyer is quite prestigious, right? But being in ministry is probably not so prestigious. <laughs> How do you feel about that move from being someone who's seen in society as someone who's quite, um, well, well looked upon to ministers who, from what I can see in our culture, seem to be more and more disliked and not trusted. Like, how's your heart growing as you are realizing that that is something that may happen, this sort of humbling of yourself? How do you feel about that occurring? Yeah, I think, I think that's a really hard um, process. It's, um, it's difficult because I've never held myself up to be um, this prestigious lawyer. Um, like I, I, it's, it's so funny because, you know, during COVID, I, having worked from home um, quite a bit, you almost forget the, the prestige of it. And then I, I went into the office a few weeks ago and you, you do realise that it is a really big deal. Um, and I suppose my approach is and has been to just to count my blessings um, and just be thankful for those opportunities while they're, while they're there um, and to walk with God into um, different seasons um, because I, th I think, you know, while, while there's a lot of prestige in the law um, and I love it, um, there's also, you know, there's also real difficulties um, and, and real heart issues that can um, come out of being in positions of power and um, having having the access to things that you have access to. Um, so yeah, I think I think just seeing I, I've never seen my role, I suppose, as a lawyer as like this massive feat or um, or, or or prestigious thing, which sometimes I think maybe I should see it a bit more like that. Does that answer your question, Aaron? I feel mm. like I, I hope yeah. I answered it. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because there is a natural prestige to law and there's nothing mm. inherently wrong with that prestige. But what I was trying to get at is, is there something difficult about that that you sort of have to give up that? Because some people who are listening uh, also have very prestigious jobs, I'm mm. sure, and are wondering, is it really worth giving up this prestige for a job that has no prestige? Um, and some, some people also might be thinking, well, is there anything that's that might affect me in ministry as a result of law or prestigious jobs? Now, obviously, these jobs are great God, jobs, not gods, great <laughs> great jobs. We need great lawyers and, and you're one of which. But I wonder, as you move to more, more study, getting prepared for ministry, are there parts of you that are wondering, is there, is there some stuff that I need to refine from some of that sort of prestigious field? away from my heart if that makes sense yeah totally I think it's I think it's just the ability to 
work on the type of cases that I get to work on, um, to be in the room with, um, you know, people who have a lot of influence in our world. I think um, that's probably a big, a big thing. Um, but yeah, and I think I think it's a process of redefining um, what what is prestigious and what is um, mm. valuable and what is important um, and God's kingdom. I, I just love that the laws in God's kingdom reflect who God is um, and his value for each individual and um, the first will become the last and, and stuff like that. So it is really a, a mind shift. Um, but that is really something I've tried to, I, I feel like, you know, when you're in a secular workplace, you're also trying to um, impact culture and, and, um, and influence the spheres around you. Um, and, you know, at the moment I've been asked to be on a committee for, I, I suppose, steering our firm um, into the post-COVID world um, and seeing what the future of the workplace actually is is going to be like. And it's a real honour to get to um, speak into that because I feel like on some levels I, I do have, um, yeah, the ability to influence culture and to bring some of God's kingdom into the way in which we do things as an organisation. So it's, it's a bit of both. Um, Shem, as you uh, sort of keep aspiring to ministry, uh, what are some of the sort of practical steps that you've taken? So obviously you've, you're aspiring, you have a sort of a trajectory about how you want to go, but I suspect it's not just theoretical, right? It's got some practical elements to it. What's that sort of looked like for you in sort of concrete terms? Give our sort of listeners a bit of a, a pathway that perhaps you're on and maybe how much longer you might be on that as you aspire towards ministry. Mm. Yeah, totally. Um, there are so many. And um, I'll say up front, I don't really know. I'm still on the pathway to thinking about how long. Um, I think one of those things, obviously, is study. Um, but I might come back to that because I think there are three things that I've um, I've definitely drawn upon in the past, I would say, three to five years um, in terms of practical steps that I can probably speak a bit more to having gone through um, that. I think study is definitely part of the next next steps. Um, I think the first thing is prayer. I'm really lucky in terms of the number of people that pray for me and that pray for the ministries that I'm part of. So I guess a practical step I've taken is getting people to pray for me and, and having a community of supporters that are really going to back your ministry in prayer. I'm part of um, a community of Sri Lankan Christians and they are like the most prayerful people ever. Something um, you might not know about Sri Lankans is that literally every single person in the community is either your auntie or uncle, whether you're, whether they're your blood relative or not. Um, so the words for uncle and auntie in Sri Lankan are ma- mama 
and mommy and everyone's a mama or a mommy and they're like all praying for you and have your back and I think harnessing um, the prayer of that community has been so important for me in terms of um, aspiring to ministry and even you know the older people at St Matt's like I, I often joke um, that when I came to St Matt's I became friends with the parents of my friends at St. Matt's before I became friends with their kids. Um, but it's seriously been such a, back, a blessing to have the backing and prayer ministry of those Christians who have walked those the, that path before you. Um, so I think gathering a, like a band of prayer warriors is a huge practical step that I've taken. Um, I think another thing has been... Um, I guess, in, in thinking about and in, in aspiring to ministry, practising um, patience and humility um, because that's not necessarily something that um, gets taught to you at uni or is part of, like, career development um, mm. in, in a secular sense. Um, humility has been something that's been really drilled into me from quite a young age but I think in Christian ministry it can so quickly become about an individual um, and particularly even as someone aspiring in that field and so I'm really intentional um, like I try to I try to be intentional in keeping grounded in the reality that I'm following Jesus Um, and I think I can identify three ways in, in which I try to do that um I try in the way that I lead um something I always say if you've been a part of my one of my groups is that um I never want to I never want those that I minister to to be dependent on me I I want them to be following King Jesus um I was explaining that to my youth girls recently and we were looking at the parable of the house built on the sand and the house built on the rock and I was saying to my youth girls, I, I want each of them, each individual one of them to be built on the solid rock of Jesus, um, not like an apartment block where Jesus is on the bottom and I'm built on Jesus and then the rest of my youth girls are built on me. Um, I'm, I'm really passionate about equipping the people that I'm ministering to to have the agency to be able to read the Bible for themselves, um, to love God by themselves and to empower them to step into their own God-given gifts. So that's that's in terms of leading my group. Um, the second that I think I've learnt over the years um, has been in terms of relating to other members of, of a team in terms of ministry, I think to get to a place of humility you have to know what your skills are mm. and to love and to treasure them and um i've I, as i said before I was, I was really lucky to have people actually name those skills mm. for mm. me um but then i think the other side of it is to know um where you're not so skilled yeah. and where other people's gifts yeah. are and to actually love and treasure that um And you kind of have to be willing to recognize that you're not made to do everything in a church. Mm -hmm. And I personally love that. I I think, Aaron, you're probably in that group chat, but I shared with 
um, our youth leaders last week in our group chat um, about what I was reading in in 1 Corinthians that day. And um, 1 Corinthians talks about, um, well, Paul says he planted the seed at the church in Corinth. He says Apollos, someone else, watered it and God made it grow. Um, Mm. And I think that's such a beautiful way to think about and prepare your heart for ministry, to know what your gifts are in ministry, but to also know um, that each, I guess, know like quite integrally the gifts of each member of your team. Um, Like I'm so thankful for the way Aaron teaches us to communicate the word in different ways and he, he tries new um, and really cool things with that. And then I think both Aaron and I are um, thankful. Attempts to with my little knowledge <laughs> and immaturity. No, <laughs> we think you do. But I think both of us, Aaron, are thankful um, that we we have people in our team who have the energy to run around with the year seven boys and, and, and run games and stuff like that or make our stage look incredible. So I think, yeah, that aspect in terms of relating to a ministry team. Um, And then the last thing that I don't really talk about much is um, the way I choose what ministries I'm a part of. I always try to make sure I'm doing one form of ministry where it's my role to support or empower someone else from behind the scenes. Um, And that's been quite important to me since, yeah, since I was 18 um, to do that, to just, yeah, keep myself, keep myself humble in that, um, in that respect. That sounds like a great (laughs) list of things, Shem. So then just very briefly, what place does study have in all of that? Because you're obviously doing some formal theological education. So just briefly, what's the sort of yeah. value and place of that in the mix of all of that? Yeah, I think that's a question that comes up a lot for people aspiring into ministry. It's one of those topics that people seem to like to discuss quite a bit. Um, I have really appreciated the wise counsel of um, my senior minister, Um he once said to a group of us, not, not specifically to me, oh, yeah, I, I shared it before, the, the element of um, uh, someone in ministry being like a decision for the soul um, and, and the add-on to his, the comment I shared before was that, you know, a doctor goes and studies for X amount of years to um, I guess, be a physician for the body. And so there's a real place um, and importance in studying to become um, somewhat of a physician for the soul. So I I think study is really important. Um, I've already seen, you know, it's it's so interesting. I've I've only done a couple of subjects um, so far, but you get to just dive so much deeper into those questions that you might have at the end of a sermon that doesn't might not necessarily get fully unpacked and talked about and you get to talk to your peers about it Um, and that's something that's I think really helpful in terms of building not only your knowledge but also your character 
Shem, can I ask why part-time? I know you're sort of transitioning into full-time. Is that correct? Or is part-time just something you just want to do now to get through units while you do law at the same time? To run me through, like, what was your process in, in, in choosing part-time? Because I think there's definitely are some pluses, but, yeah, why, why part-time for you at the moment? I think it was just the – I think it was honestly just the stage I was at mm. at, that, at that point in time. I think from what I've heard from other people that full-time is, is the way to go and it sounds like being on campus is the way to go as well. So I think – honestly just for for where I was at um in in kind of work and and where I was living and stuff like that at that point in time um part-time was was all I could cope with and I kind of wanted to see what it was like um to begin Mm. with excellent Shem it's been so great having you on the podcast really appreciate it just to finish off briefly would there be any particular piece of advice you would give to someone in your own shoes, thinking about aspiring, currently working, trying to figure out how to get there, what advice would you give to you? <laughs> so hard to kind of give advice to yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, fair enough. <laughs> no, I think, hmm, you know, I was listening. I was listening to another podcast the other day and there's this, um, there was this strategic advisor, I think to like the UN or something. Her, her name's Priya Parker, and she asks the t- these two questions of her audience. She asks, "What do you know how to do, and where is the need?" And I actually was thinking those are quite helpful lenses, perhaps to draw upon when considering ministry. And I think the way I'd reframe it um, in terms of in terms of ministry is one how has god gifted you what are the life experiences that you can draw upon and where is the need um, and then to talk about that with people older than you pray about it and prepare well for that um, and then i think the other thing is is to understand the seriousness of the calling which is perhaps why i haven't necessarily rushed into things um i don't think it's something i don't think ministry is something to be lightly toyed with the bible calls christian leaders to a high standard um and i think it's important to make sure that you understand what is involved before stepping into it so that's yeah that's definitely something that i've thought about and why i think it's important to um if you can uh, take your time with it, consider it, um, talk to other people about it. So that's that's the type of steps I'd be taking. Superb. Shem, <laughs> really appreciate your time on the podcast. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Blessings be upon you for your future ministry endeavours as you transition <laughs> into more study and try and figure out where God is taking you in the next few years. Really pray that to be with you and all that. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Patty, as well. Appreciate it. Well, Aaron, um, it's great once again hearing from Shem. I just wondered what your uh, just initial reflections were um, upon hearing her story. Mm. 
I was really encouraged by Shannon. Just wanted to butt in and say a little PS to say that my computer is making a lot of noise in the background. Apologies about this. We'll try and resolve this for future episodes. Let's get back to it. Rush into it, but has just started to dabble her toes in through some part-time study. Um, but just that real humility that she's been carrying, even though that she's got this real prestigious job of being a lawyer, she's actually considering giving that up. I was just really encouraged by that. Like, that's not an easy thing to do. We spoke about prestige a bit and giving it up, but yeah, the fact that she's considering doing that and the fact that she's considering dabbling her toes in a bit just to get a feel for it, I think that's encouraging as well, just to show her trust in God's timing and that process. How about you? What, what were your key reflections? Yeah, I mean, like you, um, she's clearly taken particular aspects of Jesus' call on her life seriously, and she's obviously counting the cost. Uh, Jesus obviously particularly talks about those who would come to follow him, and he says it will be costly to follow him in all sorts of reasons and for all, for all sorts of reasons and in all sorts of ways. And trying to juggle full-time work and then part-time study can be costly. So Shem had clearly decided that she was willing to bear that cost of um, whatever the financial implications are, and particularly extra time, which is time away either from family or friends or leisure or other sorts of endeavours, because she obviously sees that doing some form of formal theological study is important to her. In terms of, I think, that regular discipline of being taught by those who are have spent more time in the Bible, who are possibly, if you like, more learned or perhaps even wiser, which I presume would be her lecturers and also the people whom she's reading, right, the people who have written books and over the hundreds of years, that sort of almost great cloud of Christian witnesses who have reflected on the scriptures and the personal work of Jesus and time being set aside to then engage with their thoughts and their reflections on the scriptures. And Do you think you know, it was interesting, Paddy, how Shem mentioned her uh, situation that she's doing some part-time study, but she's thinking about going in full-time? It's kind of an interesting thing for our generation, isn't it? Because like a lot of us, I think, in the future, we'll be tempted to do part-time because it might be easier, it might be more flexible. And not that part-time is a bad thing. It's good to be doing any type of theological study, but it'd be good to talk about, I think, like the benefits of full-time versus part-time. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> a few. We might not be able to cover all of them in the short time we've got now. Maybe we can some that in the Q&A um, that we might do later on this season. Um but I think here my initial reflections are we need to remember a couple of things. Firstly, that um, it's not an uncommon thing across our society, even from 30 or 40 years ago, for some people to be studying full-time generally and for some people to be studying part-time. Um, a family member of mine, when he studied years ago as a teacher, uh, started working in a school and he'd worked there five days a week and he went to teacher's college at night. Other people decided they wanted to go and do their more formal education full-time and then go and seek employment. So it's... That's probably the first thing to realise. The second thing is we're often always very heavily conditioned by our own experiences. So I was one who set aside three years and studied full-time and I saw the benefit and the value in being able to do that. I'm very thankful for, particularly to my family, for the um, sacrifices and the costs that we had to bear in me doing that. But at the same time, I've talked to other people who have maintained other more full-time employment and have sought out part-time study. Obviously, it's a longer road and sometimes a more challenging one because it feels like the part-time study gets squeezed in around the other bits of life. But nevertheless, they finished it. So I'm a little nervous about being overly prescriptive and dogmatic about it, but it's worth saying a couple of things. The first thing is, I think it's often the case that those things that we give ourselves more fully to are often sometimes the things we're most passionate about. 
and they're sometimes the things that often get the best of our time. And so um, I would have thought for those who are willing and able um, and keen to be committed to full-time study, then they're clearly saying, I'm going to give the best of my time and I'm going to be really passionate about freeing myself up from all sorts of other things that I might study full-time. Um, and now we see it in probably many of our listeners who, um, while enrolled in full-time degrees for whatever discipline they're enrolled in, might also be juggling all sorts of other things part-time work shifts two or three days a week, lots of voluntary ministry at church, trying to keep up with friends. It's not surprising sometimes that the uni study will suffer because it does feel like sometimes it doesn't always get the best bit of the week or the most attention that it deserves. So I would have thought if people are able to, both financially and given their stage of life, immediate family circumstances and those sorts of things, and particularly if they're able to, then there's lots and lots of value of setting aside good solid blocks of time, maybe one year full-time to go and do full-time study or even three or four years to do it. It's not going to be for everybody. Um, for those who are doing it part-time, just be aware that if it's part-time, you still need to try and set aside um, a, a time in the week when you'll commit to your study regularly and consistently so that it doesn't just become an afterthought. I think the other thing is, yeah, they're my initial thoughts. Yeah, that's helpful. Is another consideration the fact that when you're full-time, it's not easier, but the spiritual formation is more intentional and that you're with a community of people. And so that can take place a little bit more directly. Like, it, of course, it can happen part-time. And I know for some people, they are working at a church. I've got a role at church and working and doing part-time study alongside that. So I guess they're doing their transformation or the, the formation rather through their local church community. So I guess it can happen in different ways, but I do see a value in that everyone in one space doing the formation together, chatting about what they're learning. Was that your experience at college? Well, it was because I was able to be set aside for the um, three years full-time um, other than doing church work one day a week and spending time with my family. Um, other large chunks of the week were set aside to be attending class, talking with peers and colleagues, um, but I think you raise a really good question, Aaron. There's both the sort of full-time and part-time option, but then there's the in-person and online option. And obviously, the recent global pandemic of COVID has indicated that um, sometimes people cope better, sometimes people cope worse with online learning. Um, so again, I think for you, that for, as you've right, rightly identified, there is real merit in doing in-person study as much as you're able to do it. Uh, sure, it's costly, particularly for people who need to travel to the place where they're going to be doing their study if they're not able to sort of live locally. Um, but there is something because we're embodied people, um, there is something about participating in conversation and relationship. And it's through those things that we um, reflect, I guess, on the things that we're learning and the things that we're engaging with. Um, but at the same time, I think you also want the freedom to be able to do good personal reflection and meditation and to be able to also have some people who you can talk to either in person, preferably, but also online, just as you keep doing that spiritual formation, I think is really, really important. Um, so I think there's ideal um, and then it's good to aim for an ideal. So, you know, in-person residential is really good. It's not always going to be possible. The last year has shown us that that's not always possible. Um, uh, so still doable, but in-person residential if possible. Do you think we should move to where we're studying? So 
Moore College or SMBC, Moore's in, and there's other colleges as well, but just take them as two examples. So Moore in the inner western um, SMBC in Croydon. Yeah. Should we move from our local communities to live either on campus or nearby, or is it fine to travel where we're from? Any thoughts about that? Oh, yeah, well, we've we've now opened up the, the question of um, sort of the ecclesiological question, right? And so um, if, if you are a believer that the church in this case, the local congregation should be the, the, the sending, if you like, agency, then I would have thought oh, that it's the local church that people come through where you're known and tested. They actually should be the ones who send you to college. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll go back there as a minister because you then may be sent out to other churches or mission fields or things like that. In that case, I think um, we run a, a bit of a risk of disassociating ourselves from those who know us best those who have uh, maybe providing mentoring or accountability or um, financial support, for example, if we just up and leave our local church. So I think there is some value um, at to sometimes bear, sometimes bearing the cost of some travel. Um, however, having said that, and this is where you have to start weighing the tension, one of the things that a number of Bible colleges will encourage is that during that formation time at college, you actually attend some different churches so it's not uncommon for people going to Bible college to attend um, as a, in a student minister position, another church for one or two or three years, just to gain different experience in that particular form of ministry. And I think generally that's often a very helpful thing to do. It's a little bit complicated. It depends on family situation. So in, uh, when I went through college, um, it was going to be a better family situation for us to stay living where we were and for me to travel back and forth to college than moving all of our family into college residence with all of the challenges and some of the opportunities that that provided. Whereas I presume if I had have gone to college as a single person, I would have quite comfortably moved into college and lived in. So I think stage of life and um, family commitments also have to be brought into this sort of decision-making about whether or not you move in or whether or not you stay in your local area. Um, the people who I went through college with who moved in and formed a very strong, close community and were able to then seek local evangelistic opportunities through the local school that they then sent their children to or the playgroups. Um, they, they actually really benefited both being a part of the local community. And I think the local community benefited from them moving into that area, even if it was only for three or maybe four years. So I think there's sort of strength at both ends. Um, and again, we just need to be a little bit careful that we're not too overly prescriptive or dogmatic about it. But we, we each in our own circumstances think wisely and carefully with the freedoms that we've got, but knowing the convictions that are placed on us. Um, so if you think you're maybe going to be uh, one who wants to avoid community and you want to avoid conflict, then the commute back and forth to your theological college might be the excuse that you're looking for to not have to hang around and have those hard conversations. So maybe moving in will be better for you. If you're the sort of person who really, really loves the community and you think that will be a major distraction from in, from doing your studies, then maybe you need to temper that somehow. So I, I think we need to keep knowing ourselves and um, knowing what's on offer and um, use lots of wisdom and discernment. Bit of a niche question. Sure. What about intensive study? So doing blocks of study yeah. at a time yeah. rather than going in for a whole semester, say if you are a worker looking to transition into ministry. Yeah. It's a fairly new thing, intensive, isn't it? Um, I think intensives have been around in various forms. And I know a number of theological colleges, particially when they're running um, higher level courses like master's courses, 
because they're often attracted to those who are already in ministry. Um, and so they will run a number of one-day intensives across the course of the year. Um, and in doing that with then reading and uh, say the, uh, some essays, you fulfill the requirements of one of the subjects. Um, again, um, I think the intensives um, have a, a usefulness and a utility for it because it does set aside the whole day and you just really focus on one particular aspect of one subject. Um, it often does require good preparation beforehand. And so it's sort of no good turning up to an intensive if you haven't read all of the stuff that they need you to. So it's how personally disciplined are you? Some people prefer little bits drip fed throughout a couple of weeks, you know, turning up for an hour every day to class. Other people are disciplined enough to be able to do two weeks worth of reading and then turn up to a full day. So again, I think it depends a little bit on the individual, their study habits, patterns, what they're used to. So, yeah. But having said that, an intensive to set aside a whole day and just think really deeply about a particular part of the Bible or a particular aspect of Christian theology with the, the really good, robust conversations over the break times over a lunch or some afternoon tea or something like that, that, that could be actually very beneficial for people. Mm. Interesting. Any other final reflections before we wrap up? Well, I think just uh, my reflection on when we heard Shem was there was an intentionality that struck me about what she'd been saying, that it didn't seem like she was just sort of drifting through life. Um, there was a desire to seriously think about ministry. Uh, there was a willingness to count the cost of um, doing some part-time study, uh, which I take it would both really help her personally, would enrich her spiritual formation, but at the same time would be a great encouragement to her and I think help her see the possibility of what it might look like if she either committed to full-time study and then I think she would then also see the great benefit of, of doing further study uh, to complete a formal qualification, which in doing so would prepare her for ministry. So I think my encouragement to those who are listening is that um, there's great value in formal theological study, and it's probably just worthy of people, of our listeners, thinking intentionally about what might that look like for them in their current circumstances of life. What are they prepared to say yes to and then commit to and follow through on to the best of the ability that the Lord's given them, both for their own spiritual formation and for the encouragement of God's people. Super wise stuff, Patty. Thank you so no much problem. for your reflections. Oh, it was good talking to Shem and now talking with you. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Aspire podcast. Next week, we have Mikey Lynch, an Australian evangelist, AFES campus director in Tasmania and director of a church planning movement.